Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Well, welcome back to the the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today we're going to continue our series through the book of Psalms, looking today at Psalm 30. The title of our study today is The Resurrection Song. Would you please join me now in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you first that your word is true and that it centers on the person and the work of Christ. So Lord, as we look at this, this great psalm, which is so focused on you, Lord, would you, Lord, would you help us not to treat this just as another lesson, not just another reminder. Lord, would you stir our affections afresh for the glory of Christ, for the glory of your great name. And Lord, I pray today that that we we would not only be astonished at, at your glory, the glory of the Son of God and the Son of Man, but Lord, that Lord, that that would seep into every facet, that your lordship over all would affect every area, every square inch of our lives, from our tongue to our speech to our marriage to our engagement with one another. Lord, help us today to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. And so, we, Lord, we give you thanks for this time that you've given to us to open your holy, precious, inspired, sufficient, binding, clear word of God. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 30. Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. And his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, (coughs) you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and have clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks to you forever. This is the reading of God's holy, precious word. The promise of the resurrection is one of the most precious and glorious gifts that God has revealed to us in the pages of his word. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the first eight verses, that the resurrection is a cardinal truth, is an essential to the Christian faith. That means that if you don't believe in the, that Jesus bled and died and rose in your place and for your sin, you are not a Christian. You are, as Paul will later say you in that same chapter in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, if Christ is not raised, then our hope and our, our salvation is in vain. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us that that we would be dead in our trespasses and sins if Christ had not risen from the dead on the third day. And so the resurrection is a vitally important doctrine. It is an essential doctrine. It is what we call a first order doctrine. It is a gospel doctrine. And it is absolutely essential that we understand the resurrection, not only for our salvation, our, our coming to Christ, but our continuing in Christ, our growing up in Christ, and also its ramifications for the end times. Now, we're not going to get into all of that in this study today. But 1 Corinthians 15, 50-55 says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last triumph, trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed and then shall come to pass the saying that is written. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your sting? In the words of Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. This psalm that we've read is a, is a song that celebrates the resurrection. In fact, more specifically, we can say that it's Jesus' song of joy at his own resurrection. This is a psalm of David, and by that I mean that David is the author. But as we'll see, the psalm is not simply about David. David was a prophet who spoke of Christ, and ultimately this psalm points us forward to none other than the person and the work of Christ, the son of David. And so reading Psalm 30 in light of Jesus' resurrection, it helps us make sense of the historical superscription at the beginning of this psalm when it says, a song of the dedication of the temple. In fact, this is interesting because even though David wrote the psalm, the temple wasn't built in David's lifetime. Solomon built it several years after David died. And there are several possible explanations for this. We know that David prepared for the construction of the temple by gathering many of the temples, uh, Solomon, or many of the materials, I should say, for the temple that Solomon needed, 1 Chronicles 22 tells us. And as he was gathering gold, silver, bronze, and lumber, David could have written this psalm to prepare for the dedication as well. In the latter years, Psalm 30 was in fact recited at Hanukkah, the feast commemorating the, the dedication of the temple. 
And from another angle, the word temple can also be translated house. And so many scholars think David penned this psalm as when he finished building his palace. David praises God for showing him favor after years and years of turmoil in his life. But as a Christian, it is hard to read this superscription without remembering that Jesus described his own body as the temple. In fact, Jesus says this in John 2.19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they thought he was talking about Herod's temple, a huge, magnificent building, but But Jesus clarifies in John 2.21 that he was speaking about the temple of his body. And so when we read this psalm, Psalm 30, in light of the New Testament, this song celebrates the dedication of Jesus' own body on the cross. Jesus is the temple, the place where we meet God. And when God the Father raised him from the dead, God the Son sang for joy. You see, death was not an end for Jesus, and death is not the end for anyone who truly belongs to the Lord. There is joy in the morning. The light of God's presence welcomes us on the other side of the valley of the shadow of death. We have not yet uh, been bodily raised with Christ, but by faith, his joy is ours. Our hearts can fly with the hope of the resurrection. And this is especially an important message for those of us who, you know, in the last couple of years with COVID and whatnot, we've lost friends, we've lost family, we've lost people that are really close to us. How do we, how do we have hope in the midst of that? How do we hold on in the midst of even in the present as we see our family members declining? In, in age, in health, with their memory. Well, if they're a Christian, we have hope because our hope is not rooted in the here and now. Our hope is rooted in heaven with Christ. We, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, we are even now, presently, because of union with Christ, our real home is in heaven. Our hope, our hope, the hope that anchors our soul is seated with Christ and God. Christ said in John 14 that he goes ahead to prepare a place for us. That place is with himself in heaven where Revelation very clearly tells us that we will be with the Lord day and night. That is our hope. Just think about that for a moment. Let that, let that sink in for yourself for a minute. Your hope is, is not in the here and now. Yes, you have hope in the here and now. I'm not saying that. But your hope will ultimately be realized, not this side of eternity, but in heaven. Now, remember what, remember what Paul did at the end of his life. He asked in 2 Timothy 4, he asked for books and he asked for parchment and he asked for something to keep him warm. So he wanted books, he wanted the Bible, and he wanted some piece of clothing to keep him warm. But then he also says something very, very interesting in, that same, in the same context of this passage. 
He says what he wants, he, what he's doing is he longs for the day. He longs for the day of the Lord. Here's a man who probably been serving the Lord 20, 30 years, maybe a little bit longer. We're not exactly sure. But the point is, is his hope was firmly, firmly rooted in Christ. He longed for the day when he would go to be with Christ. Even now, that's, that for the Christian is good news. It means that when we have friends who die in Christ, they go to be with Christ. They go to be with the Lord. All of our life is but, as Jesus said, a vapor. It's vapor. It's here and it's gone. What matters, what will last is what is done for the glory and the honor of Christ. And see, what the resurrection does is it roots us in reality. It roots us in the reality of God who has revealed himself in the scriptures. And what that means for the Christian is that we have hope. We have hope in the here and we have hope in the now. We have hope in the midst of of pain and heartache and trials. After all, Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. We can expect it. We can bank on it. Look at the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 and 11. He details his incredible suffering that he experienced in his life in Christ. So we can expect to face tribulations. In fact, James 1, 2 through 3 says, in the present we should consider our trials pure joy, brothers. Pure joy. Dear Christian, are you, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, are you considering your present trials a joy? I'm not saying that you, you don't cry. I'm not saying that they aren't hard. I'm not saying that they don't take a toll on you. But where... Let me ask you this. Is your heart fixed on Christ? Or is your heart fixed on those situations? And, and when the rubber meets the road, you know, because in those moments where you're really honest with yourself, like I have to be with my parents and their ongoing memory issues, I'm so prone, if I'm honest with myself, I'm too prone to rely on myself. I'm too prone to, to self-sufficiency and too little prone to pray, too, too little prone to trust the Lord even in that. And that's a convicting thought that, that I come back to again and again and again. Because, I mean, who wants to see their parents declining? Who wants to see a family member having cancer? You want to do everything in your power, but you know what? These things are beyond our power. But they are not beyond the power of God. I'm, I'm thankful. In my case, my parents are Christians. And even as they decline, their hope becomes even more real. And it will be realized when they go to be with the Lord. They will be with the Lord. They will be in the presence of God because they belong to Christ. And this doctrine of the resurrection 
is so vitally important for us to grab hold of in the midst of grief, in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulty and challenge in the here and now, looking forward to the to the not yet that day that Paul speaks of in 2 Timothy 4, that he longs for. Are you longing with Paul for that day? Well, today we're going to look with at this text, and, and we'll see that David speaks for Christ in Psalm 30, and he praises God for the resurrection in verses 1 through 5, and he prays for the resurrection in verses 6 through 10. So praise God, praise for the resurrection. The very first words of Psalm 30 is praise. Literally, David writes, I will exalt you or I will lift you up. And this is interesting because God is already exalted. How could David lift up God when God is already lifted up? Well, the answer, of course, is that he's lifting up, he's exalting God in the eyes of everyone who reads this psalm. This is similar to Psalm 29, verse 1, which says, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. God is already strong. He's already glorious. The point is, is that we need to recognize who he is. In fact, when you read about the resurrection in Psalm 30, God should already be more precious in your eyes. He should already be exalted higher. And even if you've been a Christian for many years, you should see the greatness and the glory of God more clearly as you wonder, as you meditate on the wonder and the power of the grace of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In fact, Christ explains why he is praising God. He exalts God because God has already exalted him. Psalm 30 verse 1 says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Here, the words draw me up describe uh, drawing water from a well. It is the same verb used in Exodus where when Moses drew water for, for the flocks of Jethro, the priest of Midian in Exodus 2, 16 and 19. A man drops a bucket below the surface and then draws it up again for the light of the day. And in the same way, God drew up Christ like a bucket from a deep in a well. And in return, Christ lifted up the Father with his praise. And that is to be our pattern as well. We were like a bucket in a well caught in the dark depths of sin, powerless to lift ourselves up when God reached down and pulled us up. The Apostle Paul describes our salvation this way in Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. God lifted us up. He made us dearly loved, adopted children of his and seated us with Christ in heaven, giving us a new position in Christ. And so we lift up the name of Christ above everything. We treasure Christ above all things. We honor him. We are to honor him in all things. And we are to praise him by faith, but someday we will see the full reality of what God has done. Sometimes people wonder, well, will we ever tire of praising God in heaven? 
after 10 years, after 10,000 years, after 10 millions and millions of years, won't we get tired of praising God? Well, the reason that we think this way is we don't understand how amazing the grace of God is, how high he has lifted us up when we didn't deserve it. And when we're in heaven and our eyes are finally cleared from the selfishness of sin, we will see how huge the grace of God is. And we will not want to stop praising him. We will want to lift him up forever because he has lifted us up. In fact, that's good news right now for us. As, as the economy seems to be turning down towards uh, the end of 2022, and we hear forecasts in 2023 about how the global economy is going to have a downward spiral as politics continue to spiral out of control all around the world. And, and seemingly, there, there's an endless, uh, endless list of things to be concerned about in the church and so on and so forth. We need to fix our eyes, as Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 tell us, on Christ. Christ is glorious. And, and the more that we understand of Christ as revealed in the word of God, the more our hearts will be captive, not to the things of this world. They will fade away like the painted glories that they are, as Owen would describe them. And we will behold more of the glory of Christ. Now, verses 2 through 3 of Psalm 30, they go on to describe how God drew him up. And up to this point, David could, could have been talking about being lifted up from a sickbed or some other trouble. And now it becomes clear he is talking about being raised from the dead. And so he says this in Psalm 32 through 3. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. God answered his prayer with an ultimate healing. Now, Sheol is the place of the dead, that netherworld. Christ was in Sheol in the grave when God brought him back from the dead. And this sounds very familiar to Psalm 16, verse 10, that we considered when we walked through that great psalm, speaking about the resurrection. Psalm 16.10 says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. And we know from Acts 2.30 uh, and 31 that Psalm 16 is a prophecy about Christ. Now, since these Psalms say much the same thing, it seems reasonable to interpret Psalm 30 as a prophecy of Christ's resurrection too. Now, over the years, a number of scholars have not been comfortable with the idea that David is talking about resurrection from the dead in these verses. They interpret verse 30 as a metaphor to mean that David was so sick that he was as good as dead that he had one foot in the grave. This explanation may sound to us, and it might make sense if you've ever seen that 80s movie, The Princess Bride. Billy Crystal plays Miracle Max, a washed-up magician, at a key point in the movie, when everything seems hopeless, he says that Wesley, the hero of the story, is not really dead. He is only mostly dead. And Miracle Max gives him a big pill that brings him back from the brink of the grave. And is that what David is saying here? That he was only mostly dead? And if we did not know that David was a prophet who looked forward and spoke about Christ, you might think so, and rightly so, but 
The plain meaning of his words are clear. Jesus' soul was in Sheol when God brought him out. And the rest of verse 3 clarifies that David is talking about being raised from the dead. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And the word pit here is often used as a parallel to Sheol, the grave, and means much the same thing. And the word restored is a word that describes raising somebody from the dead. It's the same word used in 2 Kings 8.5 to describe how Elisha raised a boy back to life. 2 Kings 8.4-5 says this, And now the king was talking with Geziah, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me all the great things that Elisha has done. And And while he was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, behold, the woman whose son he had restored uh, to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And, and Giza said, Oh, my lord, O king, here is the woman, and here is her son whom Elisha restored to life. In fact, in Psalm 30, Christ was not asking a God to save his life. It was too late for that. He was dead, and God had restored his life, had to restore his life to bring him back. He was standing in Sheol with other dead people in line with those entering the pit. And when God drew him out, like a man draws a bucket of water from a well, God lifted Christ up and Christ lifted the Father's name in praise. And as Christ sings his praise to God the Father, he invites us to join in and to praise the Lord ourselves. In verses 4 through 5 of Psalm 30, it says, Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Christ did endure the Father's anger for a moment as he hung on the cross. He carried our sins there for a short time. The Father turned his face away from the Son. And Jesus bore that moment of anger from God the Father that you and I, so you and I would not have to endure the wrath of God the Father ourselves. And after Christ endured God's anger for us, he experienced uh, the grace of God again. In fact, verse 5 literally says his favor is life. God was pleased with Christ's sacrifice for sins and his favor meant life for Jesus. See, Jesus' resurrection started with tears on Good Friday, but ended with joy on Easter morning. It's the same for us if we're in Christ today. There are tears when a believer dies, but there's joy in the morning. We need to look ahead and wait for that sunrise. I've talked uh, in, in a various length about the death of a dear brother, Mike Bowden. And you know what? It's, it's hard. Mike was a dear mentor. He was a dear brother. He's a faithful pastor who served the Lord for over 40 years. The Lord used him very powerfully in my life to, to help me in a variety of ways. And him dying in October 2021, it devastated me. Um, I went through some depression, went through a lot of things. But you know what? I realized the Lord is still good, even through biblical counseling and help and talking with other people. You know what? There is so much help to be had in in the gospel. God, God is good. 
And that doesn't just mean a, a theoretically out there for us. It's not just a theory. God is actually truly good. And when you really understand that God is, is so good and that he doesn't have to be, he doesn't have to show us any goodness. He doesn't have to show us any grace. He do, we don't merit it. We don't deserve it. What it does is it, is it unthaws your heart because, because we don't deserve the grace of God. We don't merit the grace of God. What we deserve is to be in hell, a place of unending, unrelenting, conscious punishment. And yet, as we just celebrated recently, the, the, the glory of Christ coming as a baby in the manger in the incarnation to pay the penalty in our place and for our sin and to rise again on the third day. Now, these things... For most of us, if you've been a Christian even a short amount of time, you know these realities. But I have to ask, are you putting them to practice in your life? Because you know what? The more that you're reminding yourself about the glory of Christ in the midst of your trials, in the midst of your, of your challenging, of challenging situations and relationship with other people, in your church, at work, and so on and so forth. The more that you're more that more that you're preaching the truth of Christ and you're you're trusting him in the midst of difficulty and even prosperity. When those challenges come, the, these little situations that happen day after day after day, they build our confidence. We see God at work in, in small ways. And so when, when those big things come, we trust God still the same because he's still the same yesterday and today and forevermore. He gets us through those daily challenges. He gets us through all those big challenges. Praise the name of the Lord. He, he is faithful, and that's the point. So when grief comes, when deep grief comes, it's, it's really hard. It hurts. It's emotionally overwhelming. But instead, we don't, as Christians, grieve without hope. We grieve with hope. It is okay to cry. It is okay to be sad. It is okay to, to take rest and to enjoy your rest and work through that with a biblical counselor. And, and a word about that, don't just go to any, any counselor. Go to somebody who's going to utilize the Bible first and foremost. They are going to teach you. They are going to walk with you. They're going to open God's word with you and walk alongside of you as a, as a fellow Christian in the word, with the word, and under the word. And my point here is this. The resurrection is not only good news for Good Friday. It's not only good news for Easter morning. It's good news for every day of your life. Christ paid that penalty in our place and for our sin. And he was buried and he rose again. We know those truths. Those are at the heart of the gospel. They describe what the gospel is. And for places like the 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. 
And yet we have to ask the question, is the gospel penetrating more and more into the everyday uh, corners of our heart and our life? Is the gospel affecting the way in which we view our work? Is the gospel affecting the way in which we process challenges and deal with difficult people? Is the gospel helping us to cling to God in the midst of grief and challenge? Or are you like me so often, relying on yourself, relying on your even your biblical knowledge? How are you doing it at really communing with the Lord. And I mean, talking to the Lord. As a Christian, you have 24-7 access because of your union with Christ to to go to the Lord. In fact, Hebrews 4.16 summons us to go before the throne of grace. How are you doing it? Not just telling the Lord about the things that you want and you need, but how are you doing it? Pouring out your petition, pouring out your heart to him. Well, if you're anything like me, you're probably not very good at it. And that's okay because, you know what? We got to start somewhere. We got to keep going on. We got to keep pouring out our hearts to the Lord. First and foremost, treasuring him. Growing in our communion with him, especially when we're going through difficulty, especially when you're going through grief. As David continues to speak for Christ, he tells the story of the resurrection again, this time focusing on his personal experience, especially his prayer from the grave. Verses 6 through 12 are going to move us from a crisis to a celebration. So as he praises God a second time, Christ describes the crisis that led to the resurrection. In verses 6 through 7 of Psalm 30, he says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain it stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. Verse 6 describes his well-being as he trusts the Lord. And some see this as an attitude of complacency, as if David was overconfident and lazy. But since he trusted in God's favor, it's better to read this as his deep confidence in God. He felt secure in God's ongoing strength and support. God made him like a strong mountain. And this was supremely true of Jesus. And then came that terrible moment on the cross when the Father hid his face and Jesus cried out in the words of Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As a real human being, this was the crisis of Jesus' life. And this led Jesus to cry out in Psalm 30, verse 8, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. In fact, the word mercy seems to imply that David has sinned and is asking for forgiveness. And we often point out the difference between grace and mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, while mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And for that reason, mercy might not be the best translation for this word. The Hebrew word grace uh, means grace or favor. And these verses are fascinating because they give us a picture into the mind of Christ as he reasoned with the Father in prayer. Psalm 30, verses 9 through 10. What prophet is there in my death if I go down to the pit? 
Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. Now, we need to sharpen uh, our translation of two important words here by noting the footnotes in the ESV. The word death is actually blood. And so verse 9 literally reads, What profit is there in my blood? And along with this, the word pit can be translated corruption. This is how the same word is translated in Psalm 16, verse 10, which says, For you will not abandon my soul to shield or let your holy ones see corruption. And with this in mind, in essence, Christ asks in verse 9, What will you gain from my blood if I go down to decay? What would, what would the Father gain if Jesus died a violent death and turned to dust in the grave? There would have been no gain in Jesus' death without the resurrection. If Christ had stayed in the grave, the cross would have been a loss and our hope would have been in vain. In fact, without the resurrection, we need to say Jesus could not have been our Savior. Without the resurrection, we would still be stuck in our sins. Without the resurrection, Christ would not have triumphed over Satan and crushed the serpent's head. Without the resurrection, God would not have displayed his glory and his wisdom to the powers of the universe. Without the resurrection, God would have betrayed his son in his hour of need. Without the resurrection, God would not have saved a people for his namesake and for his glory. Without the resurrection, the cross would have been a loss. Thank God for the resurrection, which is where we're going now. But you see, God did raise Jesus from the dead. And so, speaking for Christ, David says in Psalm 30, verse 11 through 12, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your uh, praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, this psalm is full of contrast, but these final verses are the greatest reversal of all. God turned uh, Jesus' mourning into dancing. God turned a funeral into a wedding. He turned Good Friday into Easter morning. Notice what he does at the end of in verse 12. He says, Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. That's the key. In the midst of our grief, in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our trials, give thanks to God. In fact, that's we're commanded in 1 Thessalonians 5 to give thanks in all things. For this is the will of God. Notice that in, in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, God's will is for us to be sanctified, to become increasingly more and more like Christ. And when, it, when God says, this is my will, this is, this is what you're to do. People today wonder what the will of God is. One of the things as a Christian you are to do is to give thanks to God. Because God is good. And here David gives thanks to God. Now sackcloth is rough, it's scratchy, burlap. People wore sackcloth as a sign of grief and mourning. God himself removed Jesus' sackcloth in the greatest reversal. When God loosed Christ's sackcloth and clothed him with gladness, it was like a parent undressing a child and putting on new clothes. The father took off Christ's mourning and clothed him with joy. And this is joy. This is good news for you if you belong to Christ. You have already been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. Romans 6, 4 tells us. You have new joy. You have new hope. You have new life because you are joined with Christ in his resurrection. One day your body will rise with him. 
The Bible says the Lord will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body in Philippians 3.21. Christ died and Christ rose again because he lives, we too shall live. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And maybe today you're, you're struggling, you're hurting, you're facing grief and, and doubt and questions in the midst of these challenging times. Maybe our, our political climate has you, has you down. How are you doing in the midst of all these things of reminding yourself of the goodness of God, Christian? How are you doing uh, yourself at, at giving thanks to God for another day of life and breath? You know, over the last year and a half now, I've had to remind myself, how am I doing it actually giving thanks to the Lord? And the answer was at the beginning, towards the middle of this process of grief, I wasn't doing very well at all. I was so focused on my grief. And you know what? We do have to go through the process. Everybody, what I've learned in studying this even more again, is everybody goes and deals with grief in a variety of different ways. But you know what? We all have to come to the place. Even, even, if, even if we're, we just need to come and we need to thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for helping me get out of bed this morning. Thank you, Lord, for this, this day. Thank you, Lord, for, if you have a spouse, thank you, Lord, for this spouse. Thank you, Lord, for this food before me that I'm about to eat. You know what? You know what thankfulness does? It centers our hearts on what is what is of infinite worth and value. And that's God. You know, uh, that doesn't minimize the fact that I miss Mike. I miss him terribly. I miss his advice. I miss his counsel. But at the same time, the Lord is sufficient in and of himself. Mike ran his race. Your friend who went to be with the Lord, if they were in Christ, they ran their race. And now they're before the face of God. They're with the Lord. They're worshiping the Lord. The only reason any of us are, are still here today is to get, glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to serve him, to give thanks to him, and to declare his goodness in Christ and because of Christ to the nations, to make disciples who make disciples of the nations. And that's good news. So whether you're, you're, you're a husband, that's good news for you. Because that means that you can, because by the grace of God, you can love your spouse. By the grace of God, if you have children, you can love them. By the grace of God, if you're an uncle, you can love your nephew and your niece. If you're, if you're a wife, this is good news for you because you can honor and you can love and you can respect your husband. You can work through challenges and difficulties. And there's a thousand other ways that we can talk about that this is vitally important to us, but... At the end of the day, 
What matters most is that we treasure Christ above all things. And this is why even at the end of of, of, of 1 John, a book that is about putting into practice loving God and loving others, the great commandment, John says this in 1 John 5, 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Isn't that interesting? Because in Proverbs 4.23, it says, it says, guard your heart with all due diligence for out of it flows the issues of life. You see, Christ is enough and he always will be. And the resurrection, it's not only to affect, it not only helps us, it not only, only helps us to understand you know, how we are in, united to Christ by faith in his name, but also how we're held secure. We too often emphasize the death of Christ, rightly so. Without the blood of Christ, there is no forgiveness of sins. But Christ also was buried, and Christ also rose, and Christ is also an ascended king and master. And so our hope, our salvation, is not because of us. Our salvation is rooted in the glory of Christ, who was beaten and scourged and mocked and bled and died in our place and for our sin, yes, and was buried. But he also rose on the third day. He tore the temple in two. And now we have access to this grace here and now. This grace that Paul says in Ephesians 1 superabounds towards us. Superabounds towards those who are in Christ. And Hebrews 4.16 tells us that we have access to this throne of grace because of our high priest, Jesus Christ. And by the way, Hebrews 2.17-18 and and in Galatians 4, 14 through 16, they also tell us that Christ understands. He sympathizes with us in our weakness because he was tempted and tried in every respect, and yet he did not sin. That means that when you're going through grief, when you're going through doubt, when you're going through uh, everything that life throws at you, you need to understand that Jesus was tempted He was tempted to trust himself and not the Father. He was tempted and tried in every respect, but he did not sin. And that means that we have a sympathetic high priest. Now think about that. In the midst of your grief, you have one who experienced grief. You have one who is tempted to in every respect that you're facing. And he did not sin. That means that in the midst of whatever you're going through today, in the midst of whatever I'm going through, we can trust God. We can cling to the hope that Hebrews tells us is an anchor to the soul. Second 2 Corinthians 1.20 tells us that the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. That means that 
all of the resources, all of the treasure of heaven is at your disposal. You are in Christ. You are the apple of his eye. You are beloved by the Lord. And that means you can trust him. And that also means if you're not a Christian, you are without hope. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. And you must repent and you must believe on the, on the glory of this Christ and of this King. And if you will not, you will suffer eternal punishment forever. You may have all that the world treasures, all that the world values. But if you have not Christ, you have nothing. You might have all the happiness in this world. You might have billions of dollars. But if you have not Christ, you have no real treasure. And so I plead with you to, to look to Christ. Trust Christ. He is enough. Repent and believe and put your hope and your confidence in Christ. Dear Christian, the same is true for you. Because of your union with Christ, trust Christ. He holds you fast as Romans 8, 31 through 39 tells us. He holds you fast. He is your hope. He is your anchor. He is your rock. He is your refuge. He is the one who helps you. The promise of the resurrection is one of the most promised and one of the most precious and glorious gifts God gives us in his word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this precious gift that you have revealed in the 66 uh, uh, books of your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you have clearly spoken in your word. And what you have said is more than enough for us to know you, to come to know you through faith in Christ, to grow in you because you've revealed, Lord, the means by which we are to grow in your word. And Lord, they are enough for us to look forward to the hope that we have in that is rooted in the word. As Paul did in 2 Timothy 4, he longed, eagerly longed for the day. Lord, help us to eagerly long for the day when we will be with you face to face. Help us to behold you more and may the painted glories of this world fade away. And may we treasure you more. May we esteem you more. May we glorify you more. May we honor you more with our lips and with our mouths. And Lord, where we trust ourselves and where we do not give thanks, where we grumble against you, where we do not honor you with our time and our talents and our gifts, Lord, may we repent. And may we honor you and glorify you all the more. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.